come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good. Hello and welcome to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, where you look through the dizzy highs, the terrifying lows, and the spooky middles, I guess you could say, of The Simpsons Seasons 1 to 12. I'm, of course, your co-host, Ty McRae, and joined with me, um, it's sort of a gimme, but I thought I'd give her a ghoulish um, gift, if you will, for the special Halloween episode, the special Halloween drop we're doing right here, right now. Yes, Alice, it's good to have you back. I'm not really too sure. I think once I actually started getting into the Treehouse of Horror episodes, this one always stuck with me because I really enjoyed the shinning segment. And I remember the the very initial opening from when it was on when I was younger, like the whole thing with um, the radio transmission. But yeah, it just kind of stuck with me to the point where it was just one of my most watched episodes. Now this, um, I'll say this is maybe a very close second or third. Uh, for you folks out there, we have already reviewed um, what I'd call my favourite Trouse Horror the whole of all time. And it's actually the episode before this, uh, chronologically. It's uh, Trouse of Horror 4. Um, that is Ellis, if you know, the one with King Kong Homer. Yeah. Krusty trying to kill him. And uh, Bart waking up the dead. You killed the zombie Flanders. He, he was, was a zombie? zombie? Yeah, um, apparently Matt Groening's favourite line as well from that bad boy. I think that this one's got, like quite a few good quotes i think this is probably my most quoted episode actually so i'm excited to get in with the quotes oh indeed this is definitely a very quotable and very memeable very you know twisted spin-off um with art sort of uh take on it yeah it's, it's very memorable to say the least we kick off with um a little intro here from marge now this has happened um i think for most not trials horror 4 definitely not but for most of the intros of the Halloween episodes, you have Marge coming onto a stage and saying, you know, hello there. Now just tuck your kids in at night and make sure they uh, don't see this. Which I know from the very first one, that was genuine. The writers and producers said, um, I know it can get a bit extreme. So we'll put this as a genuine warning. But by now, um, especially um, Reardon, the director on this, and uh, in sort of, collaboration with x Cohen as well writing on this and they personally made it more para para uh more parody and sort of more piss taking having marge saying no please for the love of god don't i've even got this sort of warning that we can't watch this we're going to watch this old boring 400 cowboy miles film. Run. that's the one yeah it and uh got it even quoted here through my research as well that x Cohen really wanted to push the violence and the gore in this to make it as much as he could do as a way of sort of sticking it to the senses. And I will say, from the proper opening credits as well, like um, the score, everything, like Mo just bang, opening his eyes when he's hung, and like the decapitation and everything, the beheading, like they really do ramp up the gore in this, Ellis. Yeah, this was um, one of the gorier episodes, but it was actually the last episode. Um to feature the um the intro being one of the characters coming out on stage it was all of them apart from one because that just jumped straight up to the treehouse but so two three four and five were the only ones that had um had someone come up at the beginning this was the last one yeah and what an episode to send it off um as we start with our very first um part one a very first episode of this and it's um 
hell, I think even my gran knows this. Um, the Shinin folks, it's th- I'm going to go on record and say this is the parody of The Shining. Forget everything else. Forget any sitcom. Surely this is the top work of parody and the best Shining representation. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, There's so many little Easter eggs in this segment as well that relates a lot more back to it than I even realised. So when I was kind of going over it again this afternoon, there was I think there's a lot more than we even realised. Oh, yeah, and I mean, I guess I'll sound like a broken record throughout, but Jim Reardon, I praise him so many times. People usually think of Merkin as the top guy with animation and sketching and the movement. But Reardon... It's virtually shot-for-shot remake. I mean, especially from the intro, you know, that iconic long winding road. And uh, the soundtrack as well, it's that perfect synth and underlying bass you get with the intro and the credits and that. But, you know, straight away, we're into the gags, folks, with Homer keeping uh, to forget, locking the door, the front one and the back one. And then eventually leaving Grandpa and thinking, no, fuck it, a third time is not the charm. (laughs) <laughs> we're not doing this anymore and oh lisa is so concerned as well but what so, about grandpa they arrive at this mansion house that they're going to be um keeping at and of course it's mr burns and him and smithers are you know delighted to see them there and to make sure they're you know extra efficient you know they stay there they're there for a job folks they're cutting off the supply to the tv and the beer for complete 100 percent efficiency and just straight work mode but, you know, Smithers raises that question. Maybe it was this that forced all the previous families to go and kill each other. <laughs> and um, Burns on Shonky just saying, you know, oh, you know, what? it's everyone slaughtered. I owe you a Coke. Reference back to Treehouse of Horror 2. Oh, is it? Yep. Because um, in Treehouse of Horror 2, they have that episode where they put Homer's brain into the robot. And, um, you know, Smithers is a little bit concerned about it and saying about how it could go wrong. And what about his family? And um, Mr. Burns is like, oh, well, if this goes wrong, I owe you a Coke. Yeah, it's a reference to Treehouse Horror 2. Bloody hell. Yeah, so it is. Burns has given them a tour around saying this is a, you know, very famous house here. You know, it was uh, they're going through every trope in the book here, folks. You know, this was built on a Indian pet cemetery. You know, it had sort of excavations, exorcisms. Witch burnings, and of course, five John Denver Christmas specials. Oh, John Denver. Slight caveat, folks. Um, have you ever heard of John Denver? Do you know of the man of John Denver? Yeah, Take Me Home Country Roads is one of my most played songs on Spotify. Now, original or... We the John like Denver that? version. Oh, oh gee, okay. I thought you were going to be... Now, I know you told me before you're a big Dance Dance Rev fan. I didn't know you were going to give me some, like, 99 trash or early 2000s-like you know, dance remix, but okay, you're going um, traditional. Yeah, I'm going OG, Country Roads Take Me Home. So for myself, um, sort of being in and around Sheffield and I can partake to country once in a while. Um, oh, Annie's song, that's the one I was going to say, Maggie's song, to got Simpson in my head. Annie's song, if you like, um, nice sort of soft um, folk folks. And um, also it's some um, Sheffield United's home song before they all come out. And they basically switch it with Greasy Chip Butty and wanting to fight people on a Saturday night. What more can you want? And we get, um, say, Shot for Shot remake. Our first iconic approach, our first iconic scene from the Shinning, shall we say. Um, the blood uh, just comes bursting out of the elevator. Again, great um, depth and the red colour here and great animation. But yeah, Burns is very nonchalant. You know, that's odd. The 
but he gets off at the second floor. I think people just get sick of us praising this, Ellis, but it's, it seems to be everything. Animation, writing, even the right jokes going to the right characters there as well, because why would Burns ever question it? Like, he's that much of a fossil. Well, we've got to remember the episode as well where it was, you know, confirmed that he was a vampire, so blood is nothing for him. They writ it really well. In fact, it was the first episode that David Cohen actually wrote for the show. Wow, what an entry. Yeah. And I know he would um, think, oh, what was he? That was it. He went on to be, uh, I think he's actually called like S. Cohen, but he yeah, became Cohen. E- he became X. Cohen and... I kept seeing his name pop up in Futurama and he was one of the key writers in that. Yeah, he was also one of the writers for um, King of the Hill as well. Seriously? Yeah, and Disenchantment. Uh, No, I have seen his name pop up there, but... Oh, right, wow. Oh, my word. Yeah, um, the sheer talent, folks. This is, um... Yeah, I mean, this is truly golden era Simpsons as much as it gets laboured. Like, this is peak and obviously Cohen's work really shines through here. We get Willie uh, tending. Of course he is. He's a groundskeeper, folks. He's tending the maze, and we see hole after hole after hole. Bart's been cutting through it with a chainsaw, cheating away. Hey, found a shortcut through your hedge maze. And already Willie's about to let go, but he realises, you know, oh, you know, this house will turn his dark crazy and chop him into haggis. What's haggis? Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shining. You mean shining. Shh, you want to get sued? Now look, boy, if your dad goes gaga... You just use that shin of yours to call me and I'll come a-running. But don't be reading my mind between four and five. That's Willie's time. And it turns out Bart has the shin in. Don't you mean shining? You want to get sued? Apparently they had to add that line in because of Warner Brothers. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I love parody in that, but I love more and more that, you know, it's the obligatory joke like, oh, we've got to change it, folks. So it's not quite the shining or you know it's um disneyland with a z and two e's now um i won't get too deep into it i guess i'll talk more about it when willie's actually no sorry because how you could say willie is a main character in this is in all three acts as a fellow well not even a fellow scott but just having people of the heritage um what do you make of willie are you um triggered or do you think he's just a bit of fun willie is possibly one of my favorite characters i mean my all-time favorite willie line is from this episode with and don't be reading my mind between four and five that's willie's time tell you what i never um got that as a kid but then obviously um when you when you become a bit more <laughs> pubescent yeah. that yeah i was just like oh how did they slip that by wow but i will say as far as representation of the scots he's nowhere near really that accurate of an accent but i mean I just really enjoy it. He's just um, mental. He's um, he's always seems to get tortured. In some way, he is a very stereotypical Scot. I mean, he's drunk a lot of the time. He's angry all of the time. He wants to blame everybody else all of the time. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not here to push buttons. He means well, but he's very brash. He is. Uh, did you see, um, God, I don't know what season it was, but it was in a lot later episode that um, they sneak in a bottle of the Bucky a wee bottle of Buckfast. Willie informs Bart that he's got this talent, you know, if your dad happens to go crazy, then uh, come and read my mind and I'll try and help you out. We have the family all um, settled in now. Home was about to watch something, but, you know, TV's cut off. That's no bother. I'll just go get a beer. Oh, there's nothing in the fridge. Not a drop. Now this, as I said at the start, folks, this is where I found some trivia that, um, you know, blew my mind, really. You could say it's 
I don't think it was that intentional, but it just seems to be a happy coincidence. It shares um, a British institution. It shares with Wallace and Gromit, a uh, grand day out, being that Wallace goes to check the fridge for cheese. And he goes, no cheese, not a drop in the house. Now that was 89, and this is 94, folks. So that is a big coincidence. I think I'll have a beer. Hmm. Not a drop in the house. What do you know? No cheese, Gromit. Not a bit in the house. And it is cited in many interviews, Graining truly respects um, Nick Park, Crater Rodman animation. Even had him on one of the episodes there, having more plasticine than man. But what do you think of this fittingly spooky coincidence? I do think that it is a really kind of cute piece of trivia. I mean, even I didn't connect those two together until you just said that. I thought I had the bit of trivia ready for this part now, but I think you've just topped my trivia. We have Homer sort of having the first sort of split of anger there, threatening to kill the family. I mean, throughout this whole first act, this whole first story here, folks, I just love the fact that the very, very heavy tones of the original Shining film is essentially just, it's, it, there's no threat. Like Homer just snapping and then just go, oh, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Like, it's a minor inconvenience. And then when he leaves the room to check the axe collection, the kids are worried shitless and they say, oh, you know, mum, is dad going to kill us? And Marge, not even in like a panic, oh, we'll have to find out. It's more like a, oh, we'll uh, have to find out. It's like on the tipping point whether it's going to go in the right lane. Oh, they've picked lane two. Oh, well, uh, we'll have to find out, Ben. It is also one of the first scenes with... Um, a a proper, proper direct reference to The Shining um, with Maggie and her spelling blocks, if you notice that. Oh, yes, 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 Red Rock. We have Homer again into another iconic cinemagraphic uh, scene here when Jack Nixon enters that uh, faux bar and sees a Native American. And it's not the Native American for Homer, it's Mo. He's very happy. So, what'll it be, Homer? Mo, give me a beer. No, not unless you kill your family. Why should I kill my family? Uh, they'd be much happier as ghosts. You don't look so happy. Oh, I'm happy. I'm very happy. La 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 la. See? Now, waste your family, I'll give you a beer. And Mo's, see, for me, this is perfect Mo. I know, um, I think particularly from season 11 onwards, they really play up the sort of suicidal, depressed side of Mo, which has its moments, but like, looking back, I don't know, I don't know if I like all of it, but this is my perfect mode, just sort of this surly, angry loner, he's always trying to do these little concocted schemes, or to get on the worst sides of his friend. From scene to scene, from cinematography to cinematography, we go into the chamber room now, the iconic moment where um, Shelley Neal finds out that Jack Nicholson's gone insane, and he's left millions and millions of words on his typewriter, all playing no all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Only Marge is coming in this time and feeling fine. Homer? Homie? Hmm. What he's typed will be a window into his madness. Feeling fine. Wow, that's a relief. <laughs> Spelling it out for the audience, oh, whatever he has written here can will be in window into his madness. 
pretty much spelling out what happens throughout the whole of the shining there, and it's feeling fine, but then, psh, flash of light. Or, uh, in fact, walk us through the quote here, Ellis. What do you think, Marge? All I need is a title. I was thinking of no TV and no beer make Homer something something. And this is littered all over the walls, folks. Yeah, they just seem to get, um, they seem to master aping the um, Shining soundtrack and the sound effects, like from the strings and the violins in the background to that big reveal with the flash of light. Um, much like the film, it's absolutely fantastic. And we have Homer going crazy here as well. Just brilliant animation, and you got to think of, I don't imagine the amount of strain that Dan Castellaneta had to go through. I can even imagine his sort of facials aping Homer's with his movements there. I think you can hear the room he's actually recording, and he's going full hog here, and I really appreciate that. Can you add in the sound clip of him making the noises, by the way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's done and done. Go crazy. Don't mind if I do. I think this has to be possibly my all-time favourite Simpsons moment. This whole scene of him just going crazy and just the, give me the bad Marge. Give me the bat. And then Hat, scared you, looks in the mirror, falls to the floor terrified. Yeah, because I I mean, I wondered now being older, like, and learning the rules about TV and film, um, especially what time The Simpsons would go on at, and especially parodying something so dark and 18 plus, I was thinking, how are they going to, I would think, how are they going to recreate this? Because Shelley ends up knocking Jack out, like, straight crunk onto the top of his head with a bat so I was thinking right Homer can't actually physically attack Marge don't know if Marge can actually hit him but they find a perfect loop out of it like you said just having Homer you know controlling his own demise there scaring himself bonking himself on the head and Marge chucks him in the pantry cupboard to leave him to you know think about what you've done like a you stay here until you're no longer insane. Like a poor school child there. Like I said, they're completely underselling every single threat here. Marge. I think Marge might be a secret MVP for this, just for this first act. And then, pretty much, folks, Homer's cured. He was just hangry the whole time. Because he's busy ripping into the Ritz and all the crisps and all that. I mean... It I mean, we've all been there. We've all kind of... We've all had that moment. He's actually at peace and... <laughs> Moe's not having it, you know... Um, the progression isn't going as well as me and the other ghouls had thought, you know, you need to get out. No, I can't talk. <laughs> Eating. And Mo, just for the sake of the plot, just interjects, you know, oh, for the God's sake, rips the door open and you've got every sort of horror villain here, folks. You've got the Wolfman, you've got Dracula, just tearing, tearing him out. No, come on. You've got to continue this parody, Homer. Very meta. You have Freddy Krueger, Pinhead, Jason Voorhees, Dracula, Wolfman and the Mummy. Oh, you had some of the 80s guys as well. I I can I can never pick them out. It goes by too quick. Oh, all right. Um, whilst we're on this, do you have a favourite horror series or horror film of all time? Since we're on the subject, Carrie is my all-time favourite horror film. The original Stephen King one, like without a shadow of a doubt. But if we're going in series, Nightmare on Elm Street. What does Carrie do? How does Carrie do it for you? Um, it's more psychological. In fact, it just entirely just messes with your head. See, for me, um, it's got to be the others with Nicole Kidman. It's a great twist, um, cool concept of all oh, the kids can't um, see any sunlight and that, and 
it keeps you on your toes and you know the use of silence like um a lot of good horror films do yeah i'd probably say that's a1 for me how do we do doodly folks do you enjoy simpsons podcast as much as this one you're listening to right here then go check out our friends at the 411 folks simpsons podcast they review the simpsons uh chronologically seasons one two god knows whatever season they're on now um with jokes japes accents and a whole load of fun as well so that's the 411 folks at facebook also, if you haven't checked our podcast out, go to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback Podcast, a British Simpsons podcast, and the same on our SoundCloud as well, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback. Now back to your regularly scheduled listening. So we have Homer breaking out and going insane. And we have the most memorable moment of The Shining, come to The Shining, uh, with, you know, the here's Johnny, but no one's there. David Letterman! And still no one's there. No, oh, no. Grandpa was no, there. No, no, no. Grandpa, Grandpa made it, folks. Yeah. Hi, David. I'm Grandpa. I will say, um, even though it's just for that one line, Grandpa's role here is just perfect. Just, uh, you know, this poor, innocent old man. He's not even angry at Homer. <laughs> no, he didn't even know it's Homer. He's just perfect, just walking in. Oh, hello, son. I believe these are all... Are they all primetime shows, or are they all just, like, iconic American chat shows? Um... 60 Minutes is an American show uh, that is just kind of like, you know how on BBC Three you used to get like the 60 second news? But oh, it's kind okay. of like, it's, you know, it's an hour long chat show, I believe. And do you know the names of the people he reels off? Uh, I know some of them because Family Guy did a very similar joke. Morley Schaefer, Ed Bradley, I definitely know. It's I'm Mike Wallace, I'm Morley Schaefer, and I'm Ed Bradley. All this and Andy Rooney tonight on 60 Minutes. <laughs> David, I'm Grandpa. Oh! I'm Mike Wallace, I'm Marley Saper, and I'm Ed Bradley. All this and Andy Rooney tonight on 60 Minutes. Ah! Marge and the kids running around, they managed to find a phone, and they try to contact Police Chief Wiggum saying, you know, oh, my husband's gone crazy, he's trying to kill us. Over. Oh, well, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> Again, that's, that's, really, that's really old school sort of vaudeville misdirect or misunderstanding there. Um, yeah, quality. But Bart realises, oh, you know, I'll try my uh, shinning and contact Willie. So we have Willie bursting through the doors, you know, he's going to sort out Homer, but axe straight in the back there. Get used to get used to Willie trying to save the day, folks, because um, I guess I'll say now that's my favourite um, joke throughout this whole Chaos of Horror. It's Willie coming through because you have the initial him trying to save him and then he gets killed. You have the second one where you think, oh, wait a minute, Willie's there, and then dies at the hands of Maggie. And then every, every single time, Ellis, I just forget that he's going to come back in the third one. And just just seeing him run and like, hold on, kids. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, he's going again. Every single time it works. Every time I forget it, it's great. It's kind of like that one like attempted hero in like a film or something like that, where it's just kind of like, no, don't just... Don't fight them, just run. It's the sheriff or the policeman in the final act of a horror. You know he's going to die, the teens are going to see the body, then they're going to make the getaway. Homer pursues the family out into the snow, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, if I was watching it now at like eight, you know, the tense music and that, and you see the, like the deathly stare on Homer and the, and the marching and that, and the sound, it's, 
Oh, it's actually quite chilling um, if you're a lot younger watching this. You know, oh, think? yeah. Yeah, the ape and mimic the soundtrack and the movement so well. And we managed to see Homer find Willie's portable TV that he threw in the snow before he went to save them. And this sort of resonates with Homer. Teacher, mother, secret lover. Urge kill was slowly fading, fading, and rising, and then fading, and then going. And we're fine. And then we finish this act, folks, with the family watching the TV. And then that iconic, ding, that massive snap cut where Jack Nixon's virtually killed himself. He's frozen the devil inside him. Yeah, that scene always scares me. Oh, yeah. Well, every time it's just the manic look of Jack Nixon. You've seen what he's went through and you're thinking it's like a dormant volcano, you know. You know, is he really dead or is he just waiting again? I was just going to say, um, this was absolutely my first exposure to The Shining. And then having watched it ooh, fully when I was 15, like, I just keep thinking, oh, you know, that Simpsons, oh, this is going to be funny. Oh, no, this is really dark and really scary there. Like, they've done a great job sort of making light of every single factor. But then again, getting all the iconic bits from it. This is a perfect parody. We're now on to the second story, folks. Uh, time and punishment here. We have Homer. It seem, it's pretty much a regular day. Homer's taken it all and he loves his family. He's really appreciative that he gets to live this normal life. And from zero to hundred, folks, Lisa calls out that he's stuck his hand in the toaster all of a sudden. You know, Marge, I've had my share of troubles, but sitting here now with you and the kids in our cozy home in this beautiful free country, it just makes me feel that I'm really a lucky guy. And this is just maniacal for like the next 30 seconds. Now unlike Family Guy and hell later Simpsons and especially in 11 and 12 they start doing mental, insane shit, but it's never justified. With this, I feel it is justified because, all right, if you still think it's insane, think of it as like Treehouse of Horror, non-canon, if you want to believe that. But the fact, if you randomly had your hand just shoved in a toaster, and it's on as well, that is a very um, human reaction. So I'm not giving, I'm not poo-pooing it for that at all. I think this is um, well worth the insanity there. I mean, I mean, what do you think of this? I mean, you like the maniacal um, favourite scene of all time, you know, with Homer, give me the bat, give me the bat, give me the bat. What do you think of this opening? To be quite honest, I still laugh as much as I did the first time, when, especially when it comes to, Dad, it's in there again! And he starts freaking out because somehow his hand has gotten back into the toaster without him realising. Oh, that is the punchline, yeah. that's As soon as you hear that, you think, oh, what? Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, like with the Willy thing, it's just, how is it doing it? <laughs> how is it again? And it just ramps it up even more. Yeah, that, it's got to be like the, one of the iconic moments in this segment for me. Homer, hand out of toaster, decides to fix it. Not quite with the right tools, but you know, Rock does the job. So he does some tinkering and hollering and fixing. And he comes up with um, some sort of a supercharged toaster. For all you Red Dwarf fans, it's not quite talky the toaster, but you know, it's um, fairly close. And you've got to take it for a test toast. Yeah, and then all this energy and electricity starts buzzing round. So instead of doing what a normal person does and 
run and shield. He goes full hog, two hands on, and whoosh, he's whisked away. He's created a time travel machine. Now, I don't know if you know this bit of trivia, much like me looking through the Wikipedias and all sorts, but that line of, I'm the first non-Brazilian person to ever travel through time. That always bugged me because I thought that's a bit flat. Do you know the reasoning behind that? No. The reasoning behind that is pretty much they were going to go with I'm the first non-fictional person, which is a lot better, seeing as the fact he's, you know, he is a cartoon character, but it didn't draw that much of a laugh in the writing room. So they went through every sort of option, every sort of rewrite of it, and they found non-Brazilian person got the biggest laugh. And um, back on it now, Grainin had no idea of it. And then when he watched it on the pre uh, on the premiere, he didn't like it and was confused. Like, why did you leave that in? And then um, Dan McGrath, uh, on further inspection, like many years later, said, no, that was quite a bum joke there. Ah, uh, see, I always wondered about it. But to know that they don't actually like it kind of puts me off a little bit now. Yeah, well, I guess that can happen. I mean, you think about it, if you're quite fatigued and you've been on a, not even the same episode, the same segment of a three-parter episode, pretty much, and you've invested that many days into it, you're just sort of looking for something that will generate a reaction. So I guess fatigue plays a lot in uh, comedy writing. And we have Homer in the Land of the Dinosaurs. You get to hear a little bit of a Jurassic Park-type score here. And, you know, we can't panic, you know. <laughs> think of the advice your father gave him on your wedding day. So I think people need to make a meme of that more or to sort of have that on a T-shirt. I like Little Abe here. Yeah, I feel like we need to make it into a meme where he's, like, giving helpful advice, like good guy Abe or something like that. Homer, you know, he's calm and reserved, but um, this mosquito-looking thing, it's not even really assaulting Homer, it's not even really bugging him, forgive the pun, but he just squishes it in an overly aggressive manner. And you'll see more of that within this um, second story here, folks, but he thinks, oh, no, that's just a small, insignificant mosquito. That can't change anything, right? And this large sloth looking thing just gives him the, uh, I don't know. I love that part. Homer zaps back. He's at home. So he believes everything seems fairly normal. But then all of a sudden, big fucking T-1000 tech comes out of the floor. Big telly on screen. And it's Flanders. He's the, you know, unchallenged ruler and conqueror of the world there. Do you know what that's a reference to? I think it's just in my head. I'm just going to say... Terminator 2 with the T-1000 and the Mercury tech, but I don't yes. fully know. Terminator 2, Judgment Day, the T-1000 in the mental hospital. The siren goes off. We can't have that kind of negativity in a Ned Utopia, in a Nedtopia, if you will. So they're going to have to get the family to sort of rethink and apply themselves for re-education. Because there is a negative Nelly in Sector 2. We'll say for a big, massive overlord for this... I will say um, I got a lot of parallels with Big Brother as well, Ellis. Yeah, there was... Um, you know, 1984. Yeah, that was um, that was the whole point of this segment. Uh, the bit with Flanders in this segment, at least, was to parody that. The whole family's carted off for re-education there. And Flanders is a domineering figure on the screen saying, OK, everyone, let's look at those smiles. And, oh, again, singing the praises of Reardon here, those hooks and just the twistedness of the gums and the mouths and that is just really horrifying there yeah like, it's quite it's quite a terrifying little scene it's his face that kind of gets me but the quote just kind of throws me off every time okay everybody let's see some big smiles just relax and let the hooks do their work
What the hell are you smiling at? Oh. Now, in case all that smiling didn't cheer you up, there's one thing that never fails. A nice glass of warm milk, a little nap, and a total frontal lobotomy. It's not so bad, Homer. They go in through your nose, and they let you keep the piece of brain they cut out. Look. Ooh, hello. Hello there. Who's that big man there? Who's that? Yeah, because, I mean, you've seen seams of gum and that, and, like, terrified looks in people's faces, but, um, like, thankfully, the pop a joke and Homer just looks at the guy going through the same uh, treatment as everyone else. Oh, what the hell are you going at? And they're on to the final part now, or the final bit of treatment, where's, you know, uh, one glass of milk, a little nap, and a total frontal lobotomy. Uh, much like Shutter Islands, but, you know, a lot better, in my opinion. Moe's back again, folks, but um, he's, I mean, he's heavily lobotomized, but he's a lot cuter and, you know, uh, the bit where he's just having his bit of brain as like a little pet, so, oh, who's that big man there? Who's that? <laughs> it's the part with the kids that kind of get get me in the next part. Oh, the part. dead eyes, yeah. Join us, father. It's and Marge, it's... big old bit of drool in her mouth as well. Oh, it's gross. I think I'll probably say, you know, yeah, I'll go with this one. Because even though there's bits in um, Nightmare Cafeteria, the final story, folks, I'd probably say for this one, I was, if I had to pick, I'd be the most scared or horrified, just from like the stretches or, you know, the designs of the characters there, you know, the deadness in the eyes and the dribble from Marge and, you know, Flanders Stern look. I'd probably say, you know, if you're looking for horror, horror I'd probably go for this, um, this story right here with the time travel is like most spooky. If you had to push me to it. But then it's like, once this part's over, the rest of the segment isn't really that spooky. It kind of reverts back to its comedy. I mean, unless you ignore that part with Maggie, because that part's kind of creepy. Yeah, you're right. Um, I suppose it crammed it all in into this one minute with Ned, and it just... I got really got over the spooky part of the Treehouse of Horror. But Homer, um, he doesn't want to be part of this dystopia... So he runs away, the alarms sound, the hounds are after him. And, you know, great bait and switch, the writing's coming through again. Homer's running with a load of wieners. He goes, oh, wait a minute, these wieners are giving me the quick energy I need to escape. And Wolf sit down and um, the animation gets quicker and he speeds off and he makes the escape. And he, you know, zaps on through to his next universe. Which... um Trying to think, do we go back to the dinosaurs or we do go back to the dinosaurs? Um, I believe that it's the one where he um, runs away, goes mustn't crush, mustn't kill, made it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I wish, I wish I hadn't killed that fish. Putting a bit of Doctor Seuss on it. Zaps again. He's in a he's in a empty house now. He's in empty evergreen terrace, and then he just sees a big eye out of nowhere. And then the roof rips off of the house and it's Bart and Lisa, you know. Oh, there's a bug that looks like Dad. So it's a basically a world of gigantuans. And Homer runs off and zaps to another dimension. Before we go to the other dimension, Ellis, I'll have to share with you. And with our folks on the Facebook page, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, a great meme I found. Um, essentially, it's this scene where Homer turns away and before he almost gets crushed... Um, 
Someone photoshops a little Attack on Titan cape on him. <laughs> perfectly fitting meme, perfectly fitting meme. Homer zaps back to the dinosaur world. This is one of the favourite locations for the toaster, it seems, and this big T-Rex is going to come for him. But Homer sneezes on the T-Rex, and then the T-Rex sneezes on the Stegosaurus, and then creates a massive domino effect, you know. Yeah, everything's dropping from the skies. Now, when you watch this for the first ever time, could you tell what the sort of big twist at the end was going to be then? Or what the consequence would have been from this? No, uh, I don't think that it would have... Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would have seen what the impact would have been because it doesn't seem to correlate. Well, I'll say I'm glad they went with... Because I really enjoy the ending to this because it's um subtle. I mean, you got to think... You know, I'm sure everyone's seen it, but... Basically, um, the family end up just having lizards' tongues, but everything else is normal. Now, I guess lazier writers would just have the family as dinosaurs. But the fact that they've thought, like, oh, no, wait, millions and millions of years, and just through, like, evolution and that, but they've kept the tongue. Yeah. So yeah. I really appreciate that. That's actually clever writing and clever progressive storytelling. Oh, yeah, definitely. But this universe that he comes to is my favorite oh yeah it's a it's a picture perfect universe he goes to folks you know he's in a swanky model kitchen he's got a loving f he's got well-behaved kids Sister patty and selma are dead luxury fancy sedan, clothes man. luxury sedan he's hit the jackpot this is a very um don't want to really charge it folks but this is a very um tory household yeah, it's got very big um, Reese Moggs vibes here, especially Bart. He looks like a secret little Tory here, little little smug face on him. I, I'm not. I, I won't go too much into it. Folks. Let's go to our last episode we did together and re-reference Harry Enfield's Tory boy. Yes, he's got the blue and everything there. Yeah, ah. Oh. That's why you're probably thinking that because he he looks like Tory boy. <laughs> yeah, spot on. Yeah, it's a spitting image. But uh, everything's perfect in this universe, apart from one thing, Alice. What is that? No donuts. Mm, fabulous house, well-behaved kids, sisters-in-law dead, luxury sedan. Woohoo! I hit the jackpot! Marge, dear, would you kindly pass me a donut? Donut? What's a donut? <laughs> it's raining again. And this sends Homer over the wire here, screaming... And he's back down into the basement and zapped away again. But then we're able to see the rain, which is every sort of donut, crawler, you name it. And my, oh no, it's raining again, just lightly. Yeah, it's just so nonchalant as if, like, yeah, that's just normal. Homer zaps yet again, and we get to see groundskeeper Willie again. You know, oh, you're not in the universe anymore. I can get you home, but you have to do exactly as a... And then thwack, axe in the back again, and it's Maggie with the voice of uh, guest star James Earl Jones. This is indeed a disturbing universe. Do you know James Earl Jones has been in Treehouse of Horror before? Yes, he was in ah, the Raven. Quoth the Raven, Nevermore. He was in each uh, story in that very first Treehouse of Horror as well. Yeah, I just remember him from the Raven. He's the delivery guy who, um, you know. When the Simpsons go to that first spooky house, he gets poorly tipped by Homer, you know, oh, 
I'm glad there's a curse on this. I now. never noticed that. Yeah, it was such a voice. And then when they meet Kang Kodos for the first time in that final story, he's, you know, Serok the Preparer. Oh, I like Serok the Preparer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they upset him as well. Well, if it was your job to make Serok the Preparer cry, thanks. I slaved in the kitchen for hours. Homer zaps back again to the favourite destination of, you know, Jurassic Park, the dinosaur world. And, I mean, he's living his best life now. He's got nothing to lose. Don't touch anything! I'll touch whatever I feel like! He's so incensed he can't even get his gram right, and he's just quite literally teeing off on everything, stamping things. Because it gets like, I love, uh, it's, I guess it's a de-escalation because he's clubbing stuff. Stamping on stuff, but then he just starts like he can't even contain himself with that much anger that he just starts <laughs> he just starts kicking live things and punching them like a hooligan. Then zap back. I guess that was my favorite. Um, that was my favorite world, or that was my favorite segment within this segment. Oh really? Just him going. F- yeah. Well, I guess it's just because you're thinking, oh, he's going mad, but he's not going all out mad and angry. It's like, oh, I'm frustrated. I'm hitting the bat. That's not doing enough i'll try stomping something i'll fuck it i'll just use my hands like it's very desperate i find it very funny yeah i mean it's the kind of he's really really lost it now like he he really doesn't care what the outcome is but i do like that while he's doing it just everything's changing and there's another easter egg in that one where it turns into the flintstones house do you know the sort of behind the scenes uh reason why they stick canon codus into a treehouse of horror i can't remember i knew it years ago but it has been a very long time it's pretty much to pad out time with their laughter i thought it was it's kind of like the um those moments in family guy where they do the um conway twitty moments homer zaps back home is it his home he doesn't know anymore he's paranoid he's tired no he just wants a normal life you know what are donuts for the love of god Tell me, woman, what's happening? Uh, donuts are plentiful. Friday's TGIF night on ABC. What's gotten into you? Ah, uh, nothing, Marge. And, you know, Marge has put him at ease. He can rest. He can wipe the sweat off his beaten brow. But, as I said before, big reveal, big score. It's some um, lizard tongues there from fucking up so much in the dinosaur world. No need for cutlery, folks. But <laughs> Homer, you know, he's rolled the dice so many times. He'll, he'll cut his losses in. Eh, close enough. I like how there is still cutlery on the table, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they're not savages. You say that. But then we move to our last segment of Nightmare Cafeteria. All right, Um, before we get into this, then, what would you say is your favourite story out of all the three before we do a deep dive? The Shinning. Gotta be. Nightmare Cafeteria kind of still creeps me out a little bit, so... It's got some good jokes, but it's it still kind of, like, creeps me out. There's something about it that I don't like. Well, with uh, Nightmare Cafeteria... For me, I get a lot of parallels of, I don't know if it's because I had the same sort of assignment or the same sort of like popular reading, but got me a lot of, you know, the devil headmaster. I guess it's just because it's like kids and having to deal with like a scary evil. Uh, Nightmare Cafeteria was actually written to be the lead on from an episode from, what season was it? It was from season three, I think. Yeah. Um, it was actually meant to be the lead-on from Bart the Murderer. Oh, a sort of like a reply um, for Skinner getting killed that it would go back on the kids. Yeah. Oh, ah, that could have worked really well, actually. But I think the reference is um, the... Let me quickly just have a look so I can't remember. What, oh, yeah. Because um, 
in the about the murderer uh, one of the rumors is that um skinner was grounded into hamburgers oh full circle yeah ah yeah and i guess yeah they saved the idea and it came here oh i never even put two and two together here we open up with um rowdy uh lesson about to start you know bart of course he is the cult personality leading the way saying hey let's everyone turn our desk backwards and you know blow Krabappel's mind and you know um Krabappel comes in and he's the only one that's done it and he gets detention for it why didn't he notice that nobody else had done it i guess he was quite literally blinded by his own arrogance bart goes to the detention room but it's packed you know it's like um it's like a London tube. It's just bodies on bodies here, you know. Oxygen's running out. Some kid can't breathe. Yeah, well, he should have thought of that before he threw that paper airplane here. So Skinner directs him into the cafeteria, where again, you know, it's shock full of people. You know, the benches are getting full. Skinner realizes this problem. You know, so powder keg of anarchy, ready to explode. And I think this is my favorite character in this story here, uh, Lunch Lady Doris. I think it's just that you know, raspy. Your auntie's having like 30 a day for like 50 years kind of voice. Well, don't bitch to me, boss, man. Yeah, she's just so, she's so straight faced as well. Like she, you've never really kind of seen her do anything other than be a little grumpy. Please don't take this the wrong way, Ellis, but I feel like you might have the same vocals when you're um, hitting pensioner age or hitting lunch lady Doris's age. Probably. I can imagine you being this sassy or sort of... Um, <laughs> Or just sort of fed up, like, you know, I'm damned using grade F meat as you flick your Lambert away. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right for me, to be fair. I'm already grumpy, I just need the voice. But we have Jimbo, you know, another one of the little shits. He wants, still wants to stir the pot, even though he's already in detention. So he trips up Lunch Lady Doris here, and she just sort of spills this green, pea green sort of goo over Jimbo here. Did you catch the little, the little sort of exclamation she makes as she... Makes it down to the ground. No. Hey, Bart, watch this. Uh, oh, no. My favorite outfit. Very faintly, because you hear the boom, 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 the sort of pots and pans effect of the goo going on. You just go, oh, crap. <laughs> really? Very, very faintly, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to go back on that one. I'm going to have to do that. But I do like that Jimbo does say, oh, no, my favorite outfit. Jimbo, you, you don't have any other outfits. Skinner's about to scold him. They already scolded Jimbo from that goo, but, you know, he realises, like, oh, this shit on my hand. But, oh, hmm, hmm. And he says, eyes light up. Again, the animation, folks. You see his little eyes pop that, oh, hang on, we're on something here. So he gets Jimbo to escort lunch Lady Doris into the kitchen. And Jimbo's seen no more. We cut to the teachers enjoying and an unforgettable luncheon. Not quite with steamed hams, though, with uh, with uh, Jimbo hams, because he's been ground up with meat tenderizer and getting served as lunch, but the, the teachers love it. You know, it's fresh, it's, you know, impudent. They absolutely love it. Um, I guess I've said it before, but what do you think of this uh, reveal or this little turn when you first watched it, a young Ellis? There's something about the whole cannibalism thing that scares me. Like, it, it's... Without thinking about it, it, it's up there in terms of things that I'm terrified of. Really? Yeah. Is it because it's, well, there's like reports and there's like actual realism in it? I don't know what it is. Uh, it just kind of, it, it scares me a lot more than I I tend to realise quite a lot. But it doesn't just stop with, you know, Jimbo Burgers, you know, we've got a, 
We're soon to get a Uta Bratin because they're busy serving up sloppy Jimbos and Jimbo burgers and dogs and all sorts. And Uta, of course, he's helping himself to seconds. I mean, look at the state of him. But Skinner spots this, you know, um, you know, that's your third helping, young man. This is making you, you know, fat and 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 tender and oh god folks um i have a there's a lot of talented people on the internet and um in simpsons bought posting great facebook page by the way um you have a lot of people talented editors making sort of meme videos and one of them is of this same scene where it was grabbing that burger and skinner you know licking his lips going oh and tender um someone made a video of that but there's a big harsh cut to Uta running away from Homer whipping him with a towel. <laughs> Don't chase and then, me, I'm and, full of chocolate. But basically it's, oh, and tender. Uta scream, and then it's the, you know, the CSI dun-dun. Yeah. And, and it's Special Victims Unit. Oh, it's so predatory. But it's just like a perfect smash cut of like, oh, God, it's this. That's the joke. I will, uh, I'll try and share that on the page as well, folks. But Uta is the next victim. You know, they have their own sort of, you know, howling browse. They have their own um, Oktoberfest uh, meal with Uta Bratten and sort of Uta Verst and everything else. But Bart's not the wiser. He's happily tucking in. Lisa's the only sort of um, curious one there. But Skinner's got the answer. And um, I guess this is a, not even a guilty pleasure of mine, but this is like a trope I want to see more in comedy where it's like, oh, you know, it's like, Oh, here's a pun, or no, here's a bit of wit. Like, oh, I guess you know he's um been buried with his problems, and they're like in the ground. But then they're really like, I guess you could say, like um Skinner here, you know, I guess you could say we're eating Uter and we're digesting him right now. Wait, scratch that last part. Oh, relax, kids. I've got a gut feeling Uter's around here somewhere. <laughs> After all, isn't there a little Uter in all of us? <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you you might even say we just ate Uter and he's in our stomachs right now. <laughs> Wait, scratch that one. I do like it in comedies, and I don't feel like people do this enough when they're um, writing. It's the gag of like, oh, it's um, it's like a nonchalant joke, or like a punny joke, and then it's like actually revealing it through laughter. You know, it would be like a James Bond, you know. Oh, you know, he had he couldn't um, stick around and he's impaled him. But then Bond yeah. would say after, actually, you know, the spike went right through his ass and his colostomy. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, just like completely, un again, undercutting it, folks. It's just, uh, I love this joke here. Essentially, this stupid reveal by Skinner. The kids are alarmed, so they go to Marge, you know. Mom, they're eating kids and serving them up and they're killing us all. But <laughs> Marge being just typical mum. I don't know about your mum, but my mum was very much like this. Oh, right, you're, you're eight years old now. I'm not fighting your battles. Go tell that scary bully, don't hurt me. <laughs> Just stupid advice, but still adorable by Marge. Possibly some of the worst advice she has ever given. Oh, no, I agree. It's like, it's horrible, but I guess it's still in the character of Marge, like, um, you know, like typical mum. But we have um, pretty much some Springfield Elementary has been completely thinned out now. Krabappel's looking extra thick there in detention and she's just sending people left and right to their death and, you know, getting more and more of that incredible meat sauce from the children. And we get to see uh, battery farm kids that Skinner's uh, overseen here. And another favourite joke of mine from this uh, final story, you know, oh, no, let's uh, check on the free range children. And then they just 
what the fuck are these kids? These are some thick kids. These are like bottom set maths kids because they're just running around. It's not even an enclosure. It's chalk on the ground. One of them's flapping their arms as well. Yes. Oh my God, that was brilliant. I'm glad you spotted that as well. It's just like, I guess we're like livestock. So while I'm here, here's a flap. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed that. Again, um, you say you're quite scared of this episode and the cannibalism aspect. Yet Lunch Lady Doris bursting through a door. And yeah, that part always makes me jump. Hissing like a feral animal with the blood and everything. And yeah. Oh, reared and again, great design. Just really the genuinely scary parts of this episode. He absolutely nails. And then we have my favourite part. The final time we're going to see Willie in this. And he's just bursting through, runs up to the camera and, I'll save your kids and, oh, I'm getting bad at this. <laughs> the last time, it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, poor Willie. He, he really did try for all the kids and then... We have the hungry teachers gaining in on Lisa, Milhouse and Bart there. Bart spelling out, you know, uh, plots of the story or plots of horrors like, Oh, you know, I'm sure something will come along and save us. Milhouse just decks it into this massive blender. Okay, I have it on good faith that something good will happen to the Simpsons children. Because <laughs> we're the main protagonists here. Please don't. And then they end up meeting their end. Well, so you think, because Bart wakes up and it's, oh, it's a horrible nightmare, like a lot of hack endings. Um, but, you know, oh, don't worry, honey, you've got, honey, you've got nothing to worry about. Apart from the the fog that turns people inside out. And then the fog seeps through, you know, oh, damn cheap windows. No double glazing, Homer. Come on, man. Think of your family. And then the ugh, grotesque ripping of flesh. And I'm guessing this one got you in the heebie-jeebies as well, Ellis. Just... Yeah, I mean, it gets me more when um, Santa's little helper goes, like, starts, like, wailing on Bart. But We end with a big musical number. And that's how we end it, folks, with this big surreal shot of Inside Out, Simpsons and Willie. You know, he's got to get his pay as well. He's in every single scene. He's in the end credits as well, doing a number. I don't know about this ending. I like the musical number, but I don't know if I like it's the brash. Oh, it's all a, it's all a dream, son. Yeah, it kind of felt... I think it was one of those things where they had to wrap it up really quickly. And that is how we end Treehouse of Horror 5, folks. Um, I guess you've sung your praises so many times, Alice, but if I could get with you a final word and a rating, however you want to do your rating, then please go ahead. I am giving this episode... Like, I, I very, very, very rarely give this this out, but this is a solid 10 out of 10 chorus line of people for me. It is, it is a solid 10. It's an episode I can go back to repeatedly and not get sick of it. Alright, wow. Highest of high praise there from uh, Miss Celia. For me, um, I guess I'm going to be very much on the same lines. I'm going to be singing from the, singing from the same hymn sheet as you. Because, I mean, it's just perfect writing, perfect jokes. The one-shot characters have great lines. Um, it's genuinely scary at points. The animation and the mimicry of cinematography and the shinning is fantastic. The soundtrack's uh, perfect. It's, oh, this is perfect TV. This is perfect parody. This is perfect horror. It ticks all three boxes for me in that regard. And for that, I'm going to give this five out of five 
um, dancing free-range children. <laughs> flapping their arms? Yeah, flapping their arms with uh, fully extended fingers. 10 out of 10 on the children's chicken arms. Okay, let's pull on that random episode generator and see what comes out next. Put on your best moomoo and get ready to claim for disability, because we're going to Season 7 with King Size Homer. Don't forget to like our Facebook page, that's Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, a Simpsons podcast. Same with Twitter and our SoundCloud as well, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback podcast. Take care, folks. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good.